Hi, I'm Jennifer Mulholland. And I'm Jeff Shuck. We're the co-leaders of Plenty. Thanks for joining our podcast, Plenty for Everyone. Each episode, we talk with conscious leaders like you to explore abundance in work and life, fulfillment in head and heart, and ways we can all work together to make this world a better place. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Plenty for Everyone. My name is Jennifer Mulholland, and as always, I am joined by my co-leader and partner, Jeff Shuck. Hi, everybody. We are thrilled to welcome one of our dear friends, our Lantern graduate and client, John Cass, head of peer-to-peer fundraising from World Wildlife Fund, one of our beloved clients. Thank you so much for joining us today, John. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Well, we have to start with where you are living, and we hear (laughs) that you're actually amongst a short, distant move. What's it like in D.C. right now, living and being in the heart of a lot of uh, commentary, change, polarization, Tell us who you are and how's it how's it living in DC? <laughs> yeah, I mean DC is ever an interesting place. I think we're all all tired of the phrase on certain times, but <laughs> I don't know really what else how else to describe it. But yeah, I mean you, I think we're all just doing the best we can. I think we're all hopeful that we'll see some positive changes with the pandemic and you know, but it's definitely been a challenging year, to say the least. You're being so political coming from D.C. Yeah, who would have thought? Someone in D.C. being political. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I've never heard of it. So just to orient people and maybe to set you up to share a little bit with people about your last six months, we met John three or four years ago when World Wildlife Fund hired Plenty to help them develop a new fundraising program. And we probably spent about six or nine months looking at different activities, looking at different opportunities, trying to match things to the mission. And what we came up with is called Panda Paddle, which is a stand-up paddling event and was incredibly fun to help launch, incredibly rewarding to see grow. And one of the things that you've been spending your time on the last six months, like many of our listeners, is trying to figure out how you take a growing in-person event and transition it to a time when no one can go to events at all. So have to imagine it's been a pretty just chaotic and stressful year work-wise, let alone all the stuff going on all around us. So maybe we can start there. Tell us a little bit about kind of how that worked and how the transition went and where things are now six months into, into this change. Yeah. Um, so you're right. It was uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, we took a look at what our our year ahead was, was scheduled to look like. And uh, our big uh, priority was focusing on the in-person event for Panda Paddle in San Diego that we have every October. In those early days, we didn't really know what October would, would hold. And we were, it was really trying to balance out, are we how do we move forward with this? Is it better to kind of pivot now early on and be as flexible as possible? Or is that just me in my own head being too pessimistic about like what's going to happen? And there was a a lot of internal debate for for me of just trying to figure out how much of is my own personal reaction to what's going on and and fears versus what what the the reality is. And 
really just tried to pay attention to kind of what the science was saying. You know, WF is a science-based organization. And probably after like the first month, we start to take a, cl- a closer look at what the risks were if we were to proceed with doing an event in, in October. And there was no single thing that kind of said, okay, you have to cancel the event now. But the volume of risks that we identified, it was just, it just hit a point of like, we could spend a lot of time and effort moving forward and, and trying to make this happen. Or we can just pivot now and switch it over to virtual. And I, it, it just became the decision we decided to go with. And as soon as we made that, it kind of lifted a lot of the, the anxiety because then we actually had to focus in a direction that we were able to to go at. But then the other the other factor is not only Panda Paddle, part of our peer-to-peer program, we work with other large races like the New York City Marathon, the Chicago Marathon. Those are also events that early on in the stage, we didn't know if those were happening and a portion of our revenue come for those events. We were uncertain if those would happen. And so we had to also think of like, not only how are we going to make Panda Paddle happen, but how are we going to make up for the potential revenue loss if those events end up getting canceled, which they ended up doing. So fortunately, the prior December, we had started a session where we were brainstorming other virtual event ideas that we could get into. So we already had a kind of a list ready to go. And so we just fast-tracked one of those ideas and did a virtual 5K for nature in June, ended up being the first week of June. And from the moment we launched, we just saw that the response was incredibly positive. And I think in large part because people were just looking for something to do. After being home for so many weeks and months, I think people were looking for a way to to get out and have some sense of normalcy. And uh, that seemed to really resonate with our audience. And that, at the time, was our best performing event to date. And Panda Paddle ended up surpassing those revenue goals. And we're actually now into our third virtual event in, in a short period of time called the Species Step Challenge. So, yeah, we did a lot of last-minute shifting, and we've seen some some success. But it's also still... a, a a good deal of uncertainty as we move through all this stuff of just we're putting stuff forward and and hoping that things will work out. And fortunately, so far, things have been very successful. Well, it's wonderful in the sense of the galvanizing hope that World Wildlife brings around keeping nature in balance and being in harmony with nature and preserving the oceans and the rivers and the streams and in our work with you have gotten so inspired by the education and by the community of care that really unites so many people to care about mother earth and how we treat her and how we protect her and the species and the living beings that participate in the ecosystem for us to be able to thrive. So on one level, it feels like such a unifier in the sense that this is our collective home and the expressions of the events that you get to create really don't vie away from or confuse that theme, right? It is all anchoring around a common purpose. Mm -hmm. Maybe backtrack a little bit to how you got to the decision to take it virtual. Mm -hmm. It feels like, I think, as we look into 2021 and not knowing, is uncertainty going to continue to be the new normal? When is it going to change? Is it going to change? What is going to change? Maybe we could capitalize on your learnings around that decision point of either doing the data research that you have access to and you're a leader in of looking at performance of what's doing well, what's not doing well, as well as like 
how do you blend science and how do you blend your knowledge of all these other events that you're dependent upon for revenue coupled with should we continue the panda paddle in person in California or not? Like, was there a moment where you got clear or how did, how did you and your management team come to the decision to bring things virtual, whether it was the 5k event in June or panda paddle in October? In hindsight, do you have any insight of, of when that landed for you and how it landed? I don't think there was a single moment of, again, like, I don't think there's like a step-by-step thing that it was like, I did this and this and this, and then I landed on a decision. It was taking a look at the information that was available and kind of identifying the risks of us moving forward with an in-person event. It wasn't like I read that and I was like, okay, we just need to switch this over to virtual. It was, I went to sleep one night and it was on my brain as I was trying to fall asleep. And it was just been ruminating on my mind for a couple of days. And then I just kind of woke up one day and was like, it doesn't make sense for us to to continue forward. So I don't think it was just necessarily the analytics alone, but it's also taking time to take a step back and just let it ruminate in my mind and think about it. And then I said to my boss, we talked about if we have a very clear decision, we'll, we'll make it. But I'm leaning more towards we just switch this to virtual. And I think he was on the same page and we were able to sell that internally, just because I think everyone kind of felt like there's so much uncertainty that there wasn't a clear, there was no clear answer. And I think that was something that became a learning point for us is there's not always going to be a clear answer of what to move forward with. And sometimes you just have to go with what feels, feels right. I love this whole story because one, I love World Wildlife Fund and I love Panda Paddle and I love you and I love everybody, love plenty. We're often taught growing up and when we get a job that there's such value in like perseverance and determination and push through hardship and all of that. And of course there is, but there's also value in kind of seeing when you're hitting resistance and saying, wait, that might be the clue not to keep like pushing forward. It might be the clue to like turn and go a different direction. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about a couple of years ago when we were launching the first event and It wasn't originally supposed to even be in San Diego. It was going to be in a different city entirely. We had a partner lined up who was excited for us to come. We actually did a couple of site visits and we were pretty far down that route. And then it started, it's like, oh, we can't find a site. We can't find a place to do it. The site we wanted caved in, the backup caved in. And at a certain point, it's like, what are we doing? Like this, this is the sign that we're kind of pushing against where the actual momentum is. And we pivoted and went to San Diego and everything started to flow. And And I love that awareness of like just waking up and saying, well, not everything is supposed to be hard and not everything good comes from striving and working hard. Sometimes good things come from reflecting and saying, maybe there's a smarter way. And, and the other thing I just comment on, and Jen, I'd love your take on this, One of the barriers a few years ago to how would we launch Panda Paddle and how would we do it in person is, well, what do you do with people who don't have boards? And it's like, oh my gosh, we're going to have to line up rental boards and should we have kayaks and canoes? No, because that's a whole nother set of rental things that equipment and how are we going to secure it? And it was a big pain in the butt, to be honest. Well, when it's virtual, you don't have to worry about any of that. And so not saying it's perfect. And I think I'd love to explore later 
the yearning for community and the yearning to come back together that we're all feeling. But I love what you've done. And I love how just following where the flow is, has opened up not just growth, but a lot of things that weren't possible. And you, you had a canoe leg, you had a kayak leg, you were able to do things by being responsive that we weren't able to do when we were doing things in person. So it's just a really cool set of metaphors, I think, with with going with the current, Jen, which is a topic that we've talked about all summer and fall. Yeah, I mean, really, John, I, I think you know this. I took a river trip and did my own stand-up paddle through the rapids a little bit. And and it just the metaphor that Jeff and I talked about on a few podcasts ago was just, yeah, riding the current and following flow. And it actually is a plenty value of when we can see the the obstacles or the boulders in the way that are creating the white water, where does nature take us? And nature takes us typically, but doesn't mean that like a plant coming up through the soil, that's easy. They have, there's work and effort, but when we can step back and allow the thoughts or the meanderings of should I, shouldn't I, what's the right choice? What's the wrong choice? And not to say that that is a, the right polarity we set up in our minds, but it's how our minds work often, right? This or that, light or dark, right or left, that when we allow it to kind of be marinating in the soup of the and instead of or, it could be both. Oftentimes, like what happens is we go to sleep and we wake up with clarity, And I think as leaders, we really underestimate that power of insight, that somehow we're taught that the data has to tell us the right decision. And the data is an input, just like everything else. It's one piece of the puzzle, but there are other conversations. There are other team members that have an input. There's other scenarios of location or cost or equipment or whatever the the pieces of the puzzle get put together in your inner brains. And I love to just point out that what you talked about is going to sleep one night and waking up that you knew you're leaning. And then you had the courage to voice that and your boss had the same leaning. And that's what we call alignment. I would just hope that we can encourage ourselves to step back a little bit from the stress of having to make the right decision by a certain time or do the right thing, that if we can step back, usually our dreams, when we go to sleep with that question, we'll wake up with a with clarity. We'll wake up with some knowing of this is the leaning, this, this is the direction. And I think personally, I'm trying to work on releasing an old baggage idea that there is even a right or wrong decision because it's just decisions and there's different outcomes of each decision. And I think as a, as leaders, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves in different management positions to say, I have to have the right decision. I have to have the right answer. And It just is neat to see that with the leaning that you woke up with, there's new growth that has happened for Panda Paddle that likely couldn't have happened in its current form. So maybe talk a little bit about that. What are you seeing now as a result of that decision point to take it to virtual? What has happened with the participation, maybe with the access 
what are you seeing that has potentially shifted the parameters that happened in the physical in-person event state to now? What does it look like today, October 2020? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, as, as Jeff mentioned, it definitely opened us up to be able to offer it to more paddle sports. Just from a logistical perspective with the rentals, people have their own equipment. We can really open up to any water sport. So that was that was one really great aspect of it. But the other piece that I think was been really encouraging to, to see in the feedback we're getting from participants is that we are also able to expand the community. So when we were just in San Diego, you know, it was a very localized event. But when we switched to virtual, people all over the country were able to participate. And in our, in our survey results, people were saying, even when you do go back to in-person, please host the virtual so I can participate again. It was a great experience. And even just seeing on social media that people from all over the country searching the hashtag, commenting on people's photos, and, and building of the community was a really great aspect that I think even when we do get to whatever a new normal will be, I think the virtual component will be something we want to keep just because it does expand the people we're able to reach and engage and help them connect with nature in the way that we would love them to. So it's been been a really great experience. I love that. And we haven't on the podcast gotten too far down the road of kind of fundraising and peer-to-peer fundraising, but just to go down this place for a little bit, because it's a place that Plenty does a lot of work. So if you are listening and don't know, some of Plenty's work in the social impact space is in fundraising and helping groups harness movements to raise money. And there's two things I think that I want to also point out about Panda Paddle. One is, and Jen, you said this three years ago when we were developing the event with the World Wildlife Team, the event itself helps accomplish the mission of World Wildlife Fund because it gets people out in nature. And that congruence is really, really important. And so if you're listening and thinking about whether it's product design or even just campaign design, what can you do to get the people whose support you need doing the thing that their support will benefit is is kind of a clumsy way to say it. But there's there's a real power there. And What's happened is not only did did more people than ever engage and raise money for World Wildlife Fund, all those people got outside to do it and appreciated nature while doing it. So that congruence with, with mission and fundraising is really key. The other thing that you pointed out that I think stepping back from fundraising is a real trend that we're seeing. People are yearning for community, but the ways they experience community have changed. And I think that that is going to outlive the pandemic, that there's new ways that it's not to say that in-person community has been replaced, because again, I think people crave that more than ever, but people have found interesting ways to create community virtually. And the marketplace is leading us there, whether it's innovations through Zoom and teams that have gotten vastly better through the last six months, but also, you know, Jen, one of your favorites, Peloton, which has done a huge amount to introduce people to, wow, there's a real way to do community online without making me feel like a number. So I just want to point out two of the things that I hear underpinning your commentary, John. And I think anybody who's interested in engaging people into, you know, into next year would do well to to think about the trend of congruence and to think about how real community 
is happening online because there, there's a lot of cool things happening in that space well beyond like Facebook groups and some of the things we were doing, you know, pre-pandemic. Absolutely. And just touching back to your point on p- connecting people with with nature, I think when the pandemic first hit and our very first virtual event that we kind of fast-tracked, the virtual 5K, part of our intention with that was not only just to connect people with nature, but from a mission standpoint to help them be better at their fundraising, but it was just something that as staff, we felt we needed. Like we knew things were nuts in the world and it was it was just very difficult sometimes to have your day-to-day and we knew the calming power of nature. We knew how when we got outside and connected with just got some fresh air and was able to enjoy the flowers that were blooming, how much that helped our own well-being. And so part of that was also like, we want to be able to give this to our supporters because we know how important it is. And at a time when everything feels so topsy-turvy and and uncertain, it just, that was something that was very important for us as staff. And we hope that we could build that into the event and help people be able to experience that themselves. Yeah. And that approach creates buy-in too. I mean, I think that's something that we often see between the incongruent and the congruent organizations that are walking their values and practicing them in the architecture of the event rather than at arm's distance, here's what it is, but we're not doing it ourselves. And that was a big thing around the discussion that we had at Panda Paddle. And certainly as you've seen that with your staff through its evolution is how can the event cultivate mental, physical, emotional, spiritual connection, if that is what your culture needs in a way to benefit the community in the same regard. Because Plenty's Ripple, our brand, is we always start at the center and really try and help organizations look from that inner core of what do we need? What would we like to do? If we didn't want to participate in this event, why would our community want to do it? And so love that reorientation back. And and in fact, years ago, up on our wall here at HeartSpace is one of our favorite pictures with you and your team, where we all got on the life jackets on the Potomac and went paddleboarding together. And it was such a highlight collectively for the Plenty team, for World Wildlife Fund, for the whole planning team of all the people that were there to connect in the activity we were doing, we all benefited that way. And so I think we often lose sight of when we're trying to innovate and create a new product or new campaign or peer-to-peer fundraising event, we often don't credit how important it is to engage the internal team members first. What excites us? What are we passionate about doing? Why do we care? And what's the form of that care that could create the ripple out to the community? Because I think regardless of the form, whether it's digital, whether it's virtual, whether it's in-person, whether it's a large crowd or an intimate event, we're seeking connection. The connection can come in so many different forms. And so finding that key to unlock the connection of our culture, for our communities, for our fundraising is really kind of the heart of where our efforts probably need to to point in the years to come, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
What has been one of your greatest challenges now in looking at the benefit and the challenge of the Panda Paddle being virtual and other ideas of other virtual events coming on board in well, Wildlife Fund has so many wonderful programs. So Panda Paddle is one of many different campaigns. What challenges are you seeing as you look into 2021 and you're planning for growth that maybe you could speak to? And, and honestly, as a leader, how are you personally dealing with potentially the weight of those challenges? I think the biggest challenge is still the uncertainty because we don't really know. I mean, we've seen success with the events we've done so far but we don't really know when the new normal will, will take place. And we don't know what that world looks like. And we hope that virtual events will still be exciting, but as people are able to be in person together and do more stuff, will there still be that desire to, to participate in the virtual events the same way? Do we need to pivot to something else still? So it's living with that uncertainty and trying to remain flexible enough to adjust as, as needed. That can be challenging because I think it, sometimes feels better when we at least believe we have an idea of what's to come. I mean, ultimately, none of us really know what's good, what the next day is going to bring. Anything could throw a pivot in that. And so I think it's been trying to be more okay with the unknown myself. And in some ways, you both of you know, like my father uh, a couple of years ago had a lung disorder that for quite a while, it looked like I was going to lose him. And I think the fact that he survived what at one point looked like that he would definitely die he survived that and is is doing quite well right now. That helped me get a bit different perspective of like, even though you think you might know how something's going to play out, you don't know and just try to be flexible and, and know that the uncertain doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a bad thing, even if it feels it's going to be really bad. And that's, that is how as a leader, I've been trying to approach this year, because there's been a lot of things that have been very difficult in this year. And it can sometimes feel like the writing is on the wall of, of what the outcome is going to be. And just reminding myself from my own experience that just because I think I know what the outcome is going to be, I need to be open to a different and better outcome than what it's looking like and trying to take the steps to make that happen. I love all of that. It feels like it's just a con an ongoing lesson in the value of being present today. Today is all we know. And there's, today has such importance. And you're not someone in World Wildlife Fund who works on program, which means you're not someone doing the work to create a healthier climate, as an example. You're helping raise the money for the people who do that work and fund that work. So I want to make sure that we don't take you out of a place that's not your core area of expertise. But that being said, being a conscious leader and being someone who, who works at World Wildlife Fund every day, how has what's been playing out in terms of the impact of the climate, how has that impacted your, your work and your team's work? And is it like, is it demoralizing? Is it, or does it create urgency? Because it, it's an interesting blend of some of these solutions we have to implement are going to take 20 or 30 years, but we have to start today. So it's, it's such an interesting blend of like being present now to what needs to be done and also holding out a longer term vision. And I'm just wondering how, how all of that has impacted the work. You know, do you find it you're more discouraged or more, more determined? How does that impact you? You know, I think the discouraged just depends on the day. I think there are certain days that you you see reports that come out and it's, yeah, it's very disheartening and it's, 
can be hard to be motivated. But what I'm encouraged by is the experts that I work with. So you're right, I'm not a climate scientist. So I don't really know the severity to the degree that they do that that we're facing. It is urgent. And I think that helps drive our team forward when, again, there's been times in this past year, on a personal level, things may be going on in life that it may be harder to focus on work, but the urgency behind what we're doing really is a driving factor for, for me. And I know for a lot of my teammates as well. So that certainly has been important. And I think one thing that gives me encouragement, I think when we first started working together, we discussed how in the peer-to-peer space for like healthcare issues, when someone is doing a fundraising campaign, it's a very often very personal. And so, for example, if I was to fundraise for my dad's lung transplant, it's a very personal thing. People are inspired to give because they know me, they know my dad, they want to make a difference. When you're fundraising for the planet, we discuss how it's personal for all of us. Every single one of us is affected by what happens in nature, but it's not necessarily something that always feels quite as personal or or it feels too big. And I think with what's happening in the world lately, and when we saw like the Australian wildfires, we just saw a huge spike in donations because people, it became so personal so quick for people and people wanted to donate. So from a fundraising side, that challenge we had when we first started working together of how do we make people feel personal as, as more and more stuff is happening in the climate, it is feeling more personal. And I think that's, it's been encouraging and motivating to see that momentum that people really do want to get involved in, in increasing ways. It's unfortunate the reason they have to be more involved, but it is encouraging to see they're, they're stepping up. Well, and it's lighting, this is a terrible analogy, but it's lighting the match, right? For people to start to pay more attention in a more compassionate, personal way. I think even the fires in in California that impacted Panda Paddle, I mean, that was a, a huge influencer and still is. I never thought that we would not have clean mountain air in Park City. And I'm recovering from a few weeks of getting something, virus or bacteria that was not COVID. And it really impacted my ability to breathe. And coming back from Maine today, after this long weekend, going from the New England clean air to here, and I'm looking at my window, the whole sky is smoky. And it's much harder for me to breathe here than it was yesterday in Maine. And I didn't have that personal connection to that at all. Like I really didn't. And I'm now, wow, how, how is it going to be for me breathing this week here in six to 8,000 feet elevation in a clean mountain town that is now affected by the fires that are happening all around us? And that brings a deeper compassion that the planet is more personal. Like, what is our relationship to care and how can we invest in, in the future of our collective home? I think is exciting and it's sad. I, I, that dichotomy of just, it is a totally different conversation than we had three years ago of how do you make it personal to now there's stories like mine amplified with people being displaced from their homes from fires or having to move or earthquakes or now these hurricanes coming up. And, and what does that life of disruption look like? Even the pandemic itself. I mean, we need to, to look at our relationship with wildlife and, and nature. And if we don't change some things, another pandemic is inevitable. <laughs> We're seeing a lot of the consequences of humans' time on this planet. And we need to 
do stuff to mitigate it and to help to make sure this this kind of stuff doesn't happen again. And how interconnected things are. We wrote last week in the blog about a study that Harvard has been doing about how air pollution dramatically increased morbidity from COVID. So there's another way that the environment, you mentioned our relationship with wildlife, our relationship with pollution or the fact that we're causing pollution seems to directly impact whether people die of it. So we're kind of all living in one aquarium and what what we put into it is what we get out of it. And I, I love where you're taking us because I think when the building is on fire, the last thing you want to do as a leader is argue with people about whether it's burning or not. You just, we need to rally people to put it out. And once we get it put out, the next thing to do is not to do nothing until it starts burning again. We all have to find a way forward with this and we all have to find our our own involvement in it. And I, John, I, I love what your involvement has been and I love what you've shared with us today about how you've responded and reacted and pivoted and pivoted, by the way, is one of our other least favorite words of the year, almost over overused word of the year, pivot. But I love your leadership. And also just being open. You've always been such an open-minded leader. And I really respect that and appreciate that. And our hope is that other organizations and leaders can continue to be open-minded for continued learning and this the science is unveiling so much new information. One of the points that Jeff was referring to about the quality of air pollution and the microbiome it comes from, I wouldn't say he's a new doctor, but new to us, uh, Dr. Zach Bush. And he is phenomenal about his efforts around soil health and air health and how that is impacting the viral evolution of our microbiome and our biology and our collective ecosystem that we literally are in relationship to the plants, the soil, the air, the water, and what our role in that is as we evolve going forward. That is so exciting and new information that I've been just eating up to say, wow, I had no idea. And that's a positive way to look at the virus of actually helping us evolve our microbiology rather than it being a villain and an evil force and then we need to force it out. So that's a whole other podcast of dialogue, but certainly has this relationship to the environment and the incredible work that you're doing at World Wildlife Fund. I think maybe one question to kind of start to close out our conversation for now is, When you think of a better world or a more harmonious environment where nature is in balance, what does that look like for you? And what does that look like for your view of the world? What does your better world look like? Yeah, I mean, I think my view would be a world where we don't consume more than we are able to replenish and that we're living in sustainable ways that we respect the earth and that we live on and like you guys said, the, the interconnectedness of it all. A really great documentary on Netflix, and also I think it's also on YouTube still, is Our Planet. WF was involved in, in the science of, of that documentary, and it's been a, it was fascinating as a, just a staff member to watch that and just be reminded of the interconnectedness. And I think my personal view of what a, a good outcome would be is if we all had 
that understanding and respect for the interconnectedness that the actions that we take can have far-reaching impacts for the positive or negative and trying to be mindful of, of how we live our life and the choices we make. And the more that we can spread that, I think the world would be a better place. Lovely. And as you're talking, there's some alarm going on outside and it's like perfectly time, like wake up people. We need your help. <laughs> exactly. I want to just orient listeners to the World Wildlife Fund's website is worldwildlife.org. There's incredible information there about the work they do, their six pillars, which we learned so well at Plenty while we were working with you. And the, just the imagery and the, the information is really worth taking a look at. So would invite people to, to check you out there. Yeah, and also just want to shout out a huge thank you for the World Wildlife Fund for awarding Park City, our beloved town where Retreat Center is and where I live, to be nominated for World Wildlife Fund's One Planet Cities Challenge, which is kind of an environmental movement of how our city and town can honor the trails and honor the beauty. And it's been really fun to see the people within our community participate in this challenge and elevate Park City, but also it's such a core of our retreats, as you know, coming to Lantern of taking people outside to have that time and space of quietude to get away from the alarms or the cityscape or the flooding apartments or whatever it is that's happening in our living environment. That's a little inside joke, but to use the mountains and the trails and the trees to help us get quieter as to what we can be certain of. And I think that's a question for all of us of in these times of great uncertainty and who knows, John, to your point of when that's going to ever subside, what can we be certain of within ourselves? What do we know to be true? What do we know we believe in or we are convicted of? What matters most now? And what is that action we all can take to consume less than we produce, right? And so that whole relationship to waste is an inquiry that one of the ways we could explore what certainty looks like. So really commend you for your work, not only with a pan of paddle, but with World Wildlife Fund and you as a human being. We really adore you and miss seeing you. Love that we have this podcast as an excuse to reconnect. Thank you. And uh, thank you both for your work. I mean, it's been been great listening to the podcast, just being taken back to uh, my time at the Lantern Retreat. And it's definitely helped. But again, I think this year has had its challenges. And sometimes listening to the podcast has, has reminded me of, of those key lessons that we've discussed at Lantern. And it's been a great way to, to keep those with me on a daily basis. So So thank you for what you guys are doing. You are the best. And thanks everyone for listening. Maybe I'll close this out with, for more information about Lantern, which is our incredible leadership retreat that's happening three times in 2021. It's actually happening in a couple of weeks in Park City with masks and social distancing. And we're psyched to have people to heart space. And we want you as a listener to come join us next year. Check us out at plentyconsulting.com and you'll learn more about the work we do with incredible groups like World Wildlife Fund and incredible people like John Cass. If you like what you're listening to, please give us a great review and share us with friends and leave us a comment. A couple of you have told us you've tried and you can't figure it out. Honestly, it's not that hard. We do read and respond to every comment we get and we're really 
appreciative of joining you on your commute or on your walk or wherever you are listening to us. So thanks everyone. Thank you, John. And here's to a better world. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in. Join the conversation and learn more at plentyconsulting.com.